Hi, good morning. This is Ioni, um, and I'm here to um, continue on with my podcast, uh, reading from my book on days like this, uh, under my name, Mary Fadron. Um, it's Chapter 6, New Haven, Connecticut. The white building that was the Yale School of Medicine stood starkly in the bright sun as Mary Angie Scott drove past at almost 8 o'clock in the morning. She drove a sporty white and blue Oldsmobile Skyhawk. Its sleek lines cut through the short road into which she turned its nose. The road led to the back parking lot which adjoined the Yale New Haven Hospital, the tall building that was all red brick and glass, obscuring the view to the rest of New Haven. Mary parked her car in a free slot and got out, taking her leather briefcase with her and swinging her Dunianberg shoulder bag across her slim figure. She was in a fine mood that day. It was her first day on the job. She went into the building that connected the hospital to the medical school and passed by a conference room which held a cluster of white-coated doctors holding forth on some meeting, possibly called rounds, as Mary thought. Rounds were held early in the day and usually on a Monday, she thought, having some knowledge of medicine as she used to be a summer technician in the veterans hospital in her hometown. We'll have to wait until the dog decides to leave. Okay, he's gone. <laughs> Mary glanced in as she walked past and realized that inside that meeting room stood Tom, all clad in a blue parker that enhanced his fair good looks. Mary smiled at his figure and then kept walking, following the path towards the wing of the pharmacology department, where her boss, Dr. Bob Metzger, held a laboratory. Maud Metzger was a tall, thin, but athletic man in his mid-sixties. He had a shock of white hair, glasses on his nose, and watery blue eyes. He had on a white polo shirt with a pair of nondescript but well-made slacks and a kilty pair of shoes. His tanned face was slightly pinched as he would ponder over a scientific topic while he had forth in his own office. A slim watch adorned his sinewy and slim arm. He was an ordinary enough-looking fellow, but everyone thought he was a good man of science, having had the fortune to endure and keep his job at Yale's best school. Bob was in his office when Mary entered the laboratory. The lab was one large room which contained several instruments, two desks on one wall for the technicians to sit at, and in another wall was a weighing balance, an instrument everyone needed in his lab, and several other items such as a pH meter and a chromatograph. Further towards the end of that wall was a smaller room where the postdocs had their desks, all crammed in the room adjoining each other. On the far wall in the office of the postdocs was another desk which held a computer. Mary stopped by Bob's office and waved. Hi, Bob, I'm here. He looked at her as though he had beheld a beautiful woman, which she was, but she was flattered that he did so. Mary didn't consider herself above the usual average-looking woman. She, merely her, she was merely her own self, an American-Asian girl who was raised in the Midwest and was fortunate to have a brain that got her through a doctorate. Hi, his voice was a bit like a smooth, rasping sound. Somewhat of a voice that what one might think was exhausted of its well-modulated origins and had been injured by continual bellowing in a gale storm. Mary Scott, how are you? Did you get all moved into your apartment? 
Yes, I have, Mary replied. It's good, no problems. Good, he stood up and took her arm. Let's go to the postdoc office. He motioned to the desk near the door. This one's your desk. The other guys will be in after a while, and you can get to chat with them. I'll be in and out of the office, but you can watch catch me later. One of the postdocs stepped in from the hallway outside. It was Greer, and Bob squinted at him. Hello, Greer. Meet Mary Scott, said he. This is Greer Waterman. He's the big guy here after me. Greer's been with me for a few years. He's done a lot for the Ubiquitin project. Greer was a tall man, but not as tall as Bob. He was a bedded fellow with a wooden face, and Mary noticed his teeth looked a bit like George Washington's. A short laugh escaped her throat, which she covered up by coughing a bit. Greer looked at Mary and said, Hello. Hello. They shook hands. Mary thought his hand was too damp, and she resisted the urge to wear her hand on her skirt. Greer looked at Bob with an impersonal expression on his face. I'm going to have Melody get us some new liver for the purification step. I'm all out of the ubiquitin that we made the last month. Virginia Laboratories is asking for another sample so they can move forward with the cloning. Bob looked at him with a puzzled look on his face. Then he said, oh, okay, good, I'll be around if you need me. Mary wondered if Greer was too much of a show-off. Her briefcase got heavy in her other hand as though she moved to her desk and put it on the chair. Bob and Greer got to a longish conversation and then finally Bob took Greer to his office where they went on talking. Mary shrugged. She took her purse and put it on her desk. It was a greenish table with a few drawers on one side. The chair was a swivel chair that had enough room but it was a difficult thing to even move around in it due to the other desks being also with similar chairs. And if all those in the room were preceded, Mary surmised, they all would be imprisoned, unable to get out in a short space of time. Mary sat down, fished in her briefcase for a laboratory notebook, and put it before her. Mary was about to put something down on the third page. The first page was a table of contents, as per protocol, in every laboratory notebook. When the door office to the office opened, Tom Riddle walked in. He saw her first as she started to turn around to look at what who entered. He paused and wondered if he ought to leave again. It was not a comfortable feeling to be in a small cramped room with the Queen of England, but something prodded him to say something polite. Hi, Mary, how are you? She stood up feeling at disadvantage sitting while he towered over her. I'm fine, Tom. How are you? Okay. He closed the door and decided to take the charge and be as attractive as he possibly could. Thomas was in a yellow Oxford cloth, long-sleeved shirt and a pair of snug-fitting navy pants. He had on over that the blue coat that he saw him in and rounds. He slung his jacket off him and put it on the coat rack by the computer. Then he sat on the edge of one of the desks and folded his arms. Did you have a smooth move from, is it Indiana? Yes, it's Indiana, Mary smiled slightly. Yes, I did have a smooth move. My parents and I had some relatives help to get my stuff in my apartment. Good, that's good. And where do you have your apartment? It's in Hamden, a third floor attic apartment. It's got a nice hardwood floor and a nice view of the valley below. Good. His eyes studied her face. She had an oval face and her eyes were slightly slanted. Her nose was far from the patrician, but it was an ordinary nose and her lips were her best feature. Nice and full. 
He didn't mind her lack of real beauty. She could have been a blonde, he thought, and she could have been more chesty, but it was okay. Another job for the FBI, Mary Angie Scott. An babysitting job, he thought. Then he remembered Mason's behest. Get Mary Angie killed out of jail. Yes, that would be probably an easy thing to do, concluded Tom to himself. He would have gotten into more of a chat with her, but the door opened and in came Jacko, looking like wet rag in his surplus jacket and backpack. He wore jeans to the lab, and this was no exception. He wore a pair of running shoes, and his hair was overgrown, dangling close to his shoulders. Hey, guys, he said in a dad-pan face. He hated Mary Angie Scott, and it was almost palpable. Mary did not register this at hate at first, but he would recognize after a while. Hey, Tom said in reply, getting up from the table that he rested his rear end on. I'm going to get us all up to speed on the project. Sure, Jacko said, again without any expression on his face. His bright blue eyes scanned Mary. How you doing, Mary? What's new? You all moved in? His accent was the Queen's accent, and Mary felt as though he was talking to her like an old friend, a buddy. It made her feel welcomed. I'm fine. I just got in to the new place over the weekend. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I commute from Queens. Oh, my, she exclaimed, looking sympathetically at him. All the way from Queens. That's an hour, what, an hour or so away? Yeah, Jacko said, dumping his backpack on the seat behind his desk. I am married to a teacher at the New York Public Schools. She's the one who doesn't want to move, so I gotta stay with the family, you know it? Yes, I know, she nodded sympathetically. Jacko, I'm going to get some coffee from the cafeteria, Tom spoke up. Want to have a cup? Sure, Jacko said again, almost listlessly. But his eyes were alight when they rested on Tom. Want some coffee, Mayor? She shook her head. No, I'm fine. You know how to get to the cafeteria, don't you? Tom asked. No. She sensed that they didn't want her to come along, so she added, I'll find it, thanks. Mary turned around and began to write on her lab notebook. The two men glanced at each other and then at Mary's back, and then they both went out the door. Hell, that was awkward, Tom sighed. She's like the fucking Queen of England. Did you see how we got dismissed? Jacko fumed as they walked towards the cafeteria. She's a bitch, I tell you, a fucking bitch. What the hell is the matter with you, Tom asked. Oh, I had a lousy drive, and I can't stand that I have to share with you that bitch. No, I don't want to make you feel that way, Jacko, Tom said. She's just another job to do for your good old yes of A. Hell, Jacko snorted. I'm sick of her already. What are we going to do today to get her to like you like the, best, the bee's knees? I'll work on it. We'll be Mutt and Jeff. That works good for those virgins in the Midwest, Tom guffawed. He really enjoys his job sometimes, he thought. Well, that's the end of chapter six. I had to excuse my pets for um, interfering with uh, the background. Um, my dog likes to bark every so often. And in the middle of my reading, my cat Paco decided he wanted to visit and uh, tried to traipse all over the stuff on the kitchen table next to the computer. So I was trying to um, hold him off so he wouldn't step on the keyboard. So um, I hope you enjoyed it. I'd be glad if you could make some comments 
about this so far. Um, I was reading on uh, a laptop, and so I was scrolling down, and, and uh, as usual, as it seems to be in my case, I come across things that I should have uh, taken care of uh, before publishing the thing. But uh, I can't afford a proofreader, and I can't afford a copy editor. So uh, this is all uh, the job of me. And, the, and of course, I've my uh, muse, Colin Firth, who's quite far away from me, and uh, he's too busy to really uh, do as much as uh, possible. But he's definitely guiding me through this writing and this book and other books I've written, we've written together. And I'm really grateful. And he is my co-author here on the um, latest edition. Um, so today, I think um, I'll probably um, do whatever I need to do to um, um, keep going with uh, the day. And the week is marching along. It's, uh, let's see, the 20th. Uh, so it's a Thursday. So I wish you would uh, keep me in mind over the weekend because weekends tend to be a bit uh, sad making. So um, take care and uh, you have a good day. Till next time.